Instead of government using technology to make it cheaper and faster to respond to open records requests, they're becoming more cautious, more afraid, uh, afraid that, that they will you know, disclose something that shouldn't be disclosed. This is Lawyer to Lawyer, the award-winning legal podcast with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. West Coast meets East Coast, and yes, they are attorneys, bringing you the latest legal news and observations every week with the leading experts in the legal profession. Produced right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today. I'm Craig Williams from sunny Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi from a rainy and dismal Boston, Massachusetts, where I write a blog called Law Sites and also a blog called Media Law. I'm detecting a pattern here, Bob. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court and have a book out called How to Get Sued. And Bob, we'd like to take this time to thank our sponsors, SunTrust, who offers private wealth management solutions for attorneys and legal firms at suntrust.com slash law. Clio, web-based practice management software program for lawyers, goclio.com, and Firm Manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Well, Craig, it is Sunshine Week in the United States, and of course, sunshine is something that politicians in the United States pledge all the time, promising to fight for transparency in government. Uh, President Obama was no exception. He came into office with a pledge for greater transparency. Yesterday, there were hearings before the Senate Judiciary Committee in Washington, D.C., suggesting that uh, so far he has a mixed track record in fulfilling that promise. Earlier this week, the Associated Press put out a report on the progress being made in state governments in terms of openness in government. And the AP found that while some states have made some progress, in others, the old patterns of secrecy remain strong. Well, this Associated Press analysis was done in conjunction with Sunshine Week 2011, an annual initiative that started almost a decade ago, and it's meant to provide greater transparency in government. So where have the strides been made and where is openness in government under attack? Our guests today are here to answer those questions and many more. And just before I introduce them, I want to make a disclosure, which is that uh, in my day job, I work with newspaper publishers in Massachusetts, and I am a registered lobbyist for the newspaper industry in Massachusetts. And the issues I tend to work on include openness in government. So uh, you know where my sympathies lie in this discussion. Now let's bring in our guests, starting with Mark Rumold. Mark is the Open Government Legal Fellow at the Electronic Frontier Foundation. Mark works primarily with the EFF's FOI Litigation for Accountable Government Project. His legal interests include the First Amendment, information privacy, and the ways technology can improve the way we structure government. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer, Mark Rumold. Hey, thanks a lot. And Bob, also today... We've got Kenneth Bunting. Ken is the executive director of the National Freedom of Information Coalition at the University of Missouri School of Journalism. He's also a former reporter and top editor who worked for Fort Worth Star-Telegraph, the Los Angeles Times, and the Seattle Post-Intelligencer, among many others. Welcome to the show, Ken. Great to be here. Ken, let me start with you. It is, as I mentioned, Sunshine Week. 
Sunshine Week is an effort by a number of groups to focus attention on these the issue of openness in government, and of course, your group has been active in that effort for a long time. How are we doing in the United States in terms of sunshine? Well, you know, I, I think it, 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 there's a mixed report card. Uh, as uh, pointed out earlier, uh, the, the, uh, there, there were a number of assessments about how much has happened since Obama made his pledge on day one, and, and a memo went out from Wall Wall manual at the same time, uh, telling agencies they wanted to get serious about keeping fewer secrets and being more transparent. And what all the assessments that have come out this week show is that there is a mixed report guard. There has been some, there's been some progress in response times and the like, but there's still an awful lot to be done at the federal level. Across the states, uh, similar thing, uh, there, there is an awareness uh, that open government is essential, and we get a lot of lip service for it. But across legislators, legislatures around the country are passing loopholes and exemptions and exclusions, which make brings about less transparency uh, and more secrecy. So, uh, you, know, I, you know, you know, some of us are celebrating because this Sunshine Week was started by the Knight Foundation and ASNE with the idea that we would have annually a good national conversation about the importance of open government. And that conversation is ongoing in, in, in many states today. And at the, I just left one uh, event at the museum, uh, National FOI Day, and I'm going to uh, Tampa, Florida as we speak. That's why you hear the noise in the background. I apologize. I'm in an airport terminal for an FOI summit down in Tampa at the University of South Florida. The conversation is happening, and that much is, is at least good. Well, what's the, Mark, what's the idea behind transparency in government? Why is it something that we need to have as a, as a populace? What, what benefits do we get from it? Well, I mean, I think uh, the functioning of a, of a proper democracy requires that the people know what the government is up to. Um, I, you know, that tradition goes back as, as long as, you know, James Madison. So, uh, I mean, it's clearly a fundamental, um, an issue of fundamental importance. And it's what, what I think is most interesting about it is it's, it's really, it's a nonpartisan issue. Uh, I mean, both, both parties agree that we need more transparency in government, but for, for whatever reason, that hasn't really seemed to materialize. Mark, you focused on using FOI in a particular way. Tell us about the project you're working on and how you're using the Freedom of Information Law. Right. So primarily we work in uh, in the federal space. So we use FOIA. Um, and we focus primarily on issues related to government use of technology and intelligence investigations and the way that that encroaches on civil liberties. So you mean national security letters, those kinds of things? That we, we have, I think we've issued four or five separate requests related to national security letters. But I, I, national security letters certainly aren't the, the only thing we do. We do. We've done requests uh, related to, um, you know, new technology that the FBI is using to conduct surveillance. We've done requests related to uh, lobbying efforts related to the internet, um, use of or law enforcement use of social networking to 
to uh, conduct surveillance. So it really it really runs the gamut as far as technology and the government are concerned. But it sounds overall like an area where the government is not going to be too quick to provide that information. I mean, what kind of responses are you getting when you file these FOI requests? Yeah, so to to kind of echo what Ken was saying, um, we see mixed responses. Um, obviously, the the requests that we send out are generally pretty sensitive. I mean, they're dealing with you know intelligence investigations or national security issues. Um, but that that that's not always the case. But many times they are. Obviously, those take longer, and they. In, at least in my opinion, they take an inordinate amount of time. Some of the requests that we've issued have been pending for years, and it's only because we're able to sue that we actually get the documents produced. I mean, I, I think for most people, if, if they issued a request that was, you know, in the subject matter that we issue requests or had the scope of the requests that we issue, they, you know, they it would just languish for years. But it, at the same time, some agencies are a lot better than others. So the FBI is one that is has been notoriously bad. But at the same time, uh, we issued a request to the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network earlier, uh, or in late 2010, and they responded and produced documents within a month. And uh, similarly, we just issued a request to the Patent and Trademark Office, and they've they've at least promised to respond to us within 30 days. Whether that will happen, I guess that remains to be seen. But, I mean, compared with the FBI or the, the NSA or the CIA, the, the, these are certainly quick response times. Ken, have we seen, or have you seen a significant difference between various states in their responsiveness to Freedom of Information Act requests? Yes, I would say that, that you know, the states, there's a lot of differences between states, uh, but it's more differences. It's the same story at the state level uh, and local level as it is in the federal level. It's a difference between agencies. It's a difference between the FOI officer who is responding to your request. And, you know, just take issue with one thing that Mark just said. You know, yes, when you're dealing with sensitive issues that's already got a classified stamp on it, and, and, what, and some person thinks the easy thing is just to say the whole document is a secret because it says it's classified, uh, it slows it up and it takes a long time. But what I'm finding is that it takes a long time sometimes for the most routine of things that's where there shouldn't even be a question. Uh, the response time in the federal government is 20 days to give a response and then a squishy deadline to actually produce the document. In the states, it ranges from three days to, uh, to something vague like as soon as possible when it's practical. Uh, that's what the legal language says. But, but by and large, what, what we're finding is you know, states very rarely can an individual, whether it's an investigative reporter for the New York Times or just a citizen who's interested in finding out what his uh, mayor makes in a salary and spends in a expense account, it's very rare that someone can go in, request information, even when there's no dispute that it is public information and there's nothing about it that is exempt. Uh, it still takes a long time, uh, it's, and, and often it takes negotiations or even threats of legal action. And that's unfortunate. 
Ken, one of the issues I hear a lot about in my own work is that newspapers and news organizations don't have the budgets they once did to fight these fights over access, whether it's access to documents or access to meetings. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on that. Are you seeing that or or is that not necessarily the case? I think that's, that's quite accurate. Remember, if we had a survey uh, that we did, I think, two years ago that verified that. And because of that, one of our uh, primary initiatives, and we will always be involved in education and pub- raising public awareness and working with our various coalitions in the 50 states, but one of our signature initiatives these days is administering the Knight FOI Fund, which allows... Uh, in which we give financial support to litigants in uh, meritorious FOI cases when they've uh, you know uh, come to that last resort where you know all their appeals and uh, requests for reconsideration have been ignored, and the only way to make the government comply with their laws is to file a suit. Then we'll, we will actually give grants to individuals, to nonprofit organizations, not just our member organizations, but other nonprofit organizations, under the Knight Fund to fund much of the legal cost for bringing these actions. Uh, we don't pay hourly attorney fees, but we do pay practically any other cost uh, uh, associated with litigation, and we only ask for the money to be repaid to us if. We prevail uh, in one of those states, and there are 44 of them, where litigants in FOI cases are entitled to recover uh, their fees, uh, their expenses, and in some cases a penalty uh, when, they, when, when, they, when someone has not complied with the open government law. Yeah, I can just add anecdotally to that that we have reporters come to us all the time asking about the FOIA cases that we're working on, and they, the kind of constant refrain is that they wish that they could, they could issue and litigate, and well, they obviously can still issue, but they wish that they could litigate uh, some of the FOIA requests that they issue, but they can't just because the budgets at newspapers have become so tight. So they're looking for help from outside organizations such as the EFF. Yeah, I, I mean they kind of they kind of count on us to do to do kind of the FOIA work that we do. It, it's kind of a delicate balance because we, as an organization, don't want to become you know the litigation arm of technology reporters across the country. But I mean, at the same time, uh, we know that they kind of look to us to provide some of the information that we do. I was just going to ask whether or not we've seen uh, any increase in transparency as a consequence of technological advances. I mean, we've got you know cell phones, we've got uh, all types of scanners and, and other types of technology that, that make things easier to share. Has the government taken advantage of that? And do you see that changing the way that these requests are responded to? Well, I mean, uh, to give an example, the, the Patent and trade o- Trademark Office has a kind of FOIA tracking, um, I, I guess, site, a dedicated page on their on their site where you can see the status of uh, your request and kind of track it as it moves along through through uh, the, the different stages. But aside from that, I, I can't really think of anything. I, maybe Ken could speak to it better than I. 
Well, once again, I think it's a mixed bag. I think I'm using that word more than anything in this interview. You know, technology, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, technology and digital communications should make uh, access to public information uh, greater, easier, faster, cheaper. And, you know, in some cases, some governments like the city of Albany, Oregon, which was just uh, recognized for its efforts by uh, ASNE, are doing things like putting a lot of government information at the fingertips of any citizen who wants to get it. But what I'm seeing is that, you know, in, in the legislative and political battle surrounding government transparency, uh, fears about privacy, fears about private information getting out, fears about the permanence of the Internet uh, is bringing about some bad policies regarding electronic records that in some cases is taking it in the wrong direction. Uh, and then, you know, there just doesn't seem to be a, 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 those same fears that I talked about. Instead of government using technology to make it cheaper and faster to, re, to respond to open records requests, they're becoming more cautious, more afraid, uh, afraid that, that they will, you know, disclose something that shouldn't be disclosed. Right. And, you know, I think, you know, it is unfortunate. I apologize for the announcement in the background. It is unfortunate that in most states and in the federal government, an official can get in more trouble for disclosing something that he shouldn't have disclosed than he can for flagrantly violating the laws and not disclosing something that he should have disclosed. It's unfortunate, uh, and, and, and I, I think, you know, one of the things we need to do is take a look at whether or not, uh, you know, when people violate public disclosure laws in a way that is not uh, in keeping with the law and it's not a question of of knowing what they're doing, they're just they're just throwing up obstacles in the way of citizens. There ought to be penalties for it. I mean, I'm not saying criminal penalties, but there ought to be penalties for it. And it shouldn't just be the taxpayers who have to pick up the bill and pay the check for the eleven or twelve or twenty thousand dollars in penalties to get. Uh, awarded at the end of an FOI case. Well, gentlemen, it's time for us to take a quick break, but when we'll, we return, we'll have much more on openness in government right here on the Legal Talk Network. Has the recent economic climate affected the financial goals of your firm? Get back on track with help from SunTrust. Our private wealth management legal specialty group works solely with lawyers and their firms to deliver unique solutions designed for the legal community. SunTrust advisors give you sound guidance on everything from maximizing cash flow and wading through benefits planning to understanding how to retain attorneys and staff. Learn more at www.suntrust.com legal. SunTrust. Live solid. Bank solid. SunTrust Bank. Member FDIC. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them the ability to get their work done from anywhere whether it's at their office at the courthouse at home or even if they're on vacation they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done 
Uh, the mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. With cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. It's the office calling again. Don't answer it. Why not? I'm listening to Legal Talk Network podcasts to get my CLE credit in West Legal Ed Center. Oh, yeah. I need to do that, too. Where do I find them? It's easy. Just go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and pick a program for CLE. Click on it and start listening. Or go to westlegaledcenter.com and choose from any of the Legal Talk Network programs available for CLE. That's perfect. The office can wait. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams, along with my co-host Bob Ambrosi from Massachusetts. We are discussing transparency in government with our guest Mark Rumwald, the Open Government Legal Fellow with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and Ken Bunting, who is the Director of National Freedom of Information Coalition. Well, what happens, gentlemen, when a governmental uh, agent or agency fails to reply to a Freedom of Information Act request? And, and what if that intent you can show is intentional? What are, what are the punishments that the government uh, receives as a consequence of not complying with its own laws? Well, unfortunately, there are very few punishments. I mean, there's a, there's a penalty. I, I don't know of a single state where the penalty increases uh, if uh, someone were to accept the burden of proof of showing that someone's uh, failure to comply with the open records request uh, was intentional. What, what we find, you know, in some cases, there are, you know, additional penalties besides the expenses that amount to, say, a dollar a day or five dollars a day or something of the sort. But again, that's the taxpayer's money that pays that bill. One, one thing that might change the dynamic, I, I, you know, if, if I am a citizen of uh, a city council, a city where the city council or the city manager uh, flagrantly violates the law, and I read in the paper that they had to repay a penalty, uh, they had to pay a legal fees for somebody who sued them and uh, ran up a $20,000 bill. That would be $20,000 I'd be very angry about uh, as a taxpayer and would, would, would demand that our government explain 
why that happened. Unfortunately, we don't have that consistency behind us with that type of, of uh, aggressive attitude towards those violations. This has been a real sore spot for us in Massachusetts because we have no penalties in our law of any consequence whatsoever. Uh, there's a sense that officials can violate our law pretty much with impunity without fearing any individual repercussions, except perhaps maybe at the ballot box down the road. We've been pushing for attorney's fees. We've been pushing for penalties. Uh, and Massachusetts is one of those states where the legislature itself is exempt from all open government laws, all public record laws and open meeting laws. So it's hard to know why these laws don't get passed, but we do know they don't get passed. What what uh, kind of proposals would you offer to the legislature or to Congress to fix the problems that you see with um, with Freedom of Information Act requests? Mark, do you want to respond to that one? Yeah, sure. Um, well, I think, I mean, like Ken suggested, some type of some type of fee for failure to reply. Um, at least in the federal level, there are there is a possibility of winning attorneys' fees if you prevail in most of the issues. But I mean, for most people, even the prospect of getting an attorney and getting to the litigation stage is, I would imagine, too much of a too much of a hindrance to even bother with it. So, um, and you know. It, I think I think another thing at the federal level is just more funding for FOIA operations within within the agencies. I think uh, I mean while it's fine to to badmouth the FBI and the NSA and I you know I imagine there are people within those organizations that are stymieing kind of FOIA efforts at the same time though they are swamped with FOIA requests. So I think just more funding would uh, would move things along a little bit. Do you see any reason to individually punish those people who refuse to respond so that they can not stand? You know, Ken was observing that, you know, you spend $20,000 defending a FOIA request and you ultimately lose it. Sure. Um, does there need to be individual responsibility for this? I mean, I, I understand I mean I'd, I'd love there to be. I think it would be difficult to... I think it would be difficult to assess, um, at least in the initial stages of kind of FOIA review. It's you know a pretty a pretty low level government worker who's just pouring through um, these these documents, and maybe maybe once maybe once that goes up the chain and there's some type of hindrance, I think then maybe. Some personal responsibility and accountability would be good, but I, I mean, it, it would just be a difficult, I think it would be a difficult kind of system to organize. I mean, it depends. Some states do provide individual penalties, at least for open meeting law violations. If an individual violates the law, they can be slapped with a penalty. Some states even impose uh, the potential for criminal misdemeanor penalties uh, where an individual has somehow skirted the open meeting law or done something in an intentional way. One thing I'm wondering about, Mark, in terms of transparency at the federal level, is what has been the impact of WikiLeaks? Has that caused government officials to kind of recoil and become more tight-lipped? Or yeah. has that in some way helped more 
legitimate people or people who operate uh, more through more legitimate channels of, of seeking government information. Right. I, you know, I think it's a fantastic question and I think it's still an unanswered question. Um, you know, it's, it's my hope that it will make government officials, uh, possibly more open to those of us who work in you know, quote-unquote legitimate kind of legal uh, methods of government transparency. But at the same time, there's, I, I think there's kind of a lingering feeling that what it's really going to result in is just uh, more classification, more kind of categorization of information in areas that people don't have access to and can't get access to. So somebody, you know, can't infiltrate a network and get thousands and thousands of sensitive documents. And I think ultimately that will perhaps hinder, uh, you know, working within the law for open government. Mark, one thing we always do in this program is to give our guests the opportunity to have the final word and also to tell our listeners how to follow up with you and, find out uh, more about the work that you're doing. So uh, let's let's hear from you on uh, your final thoughts. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, you can you can visit uh, EFF at our website. It's EFF.org. Um, I work on the FLAG project, the FOIA Litigation for Accountable Government. Um, actually, just today, in honor of Sunshine Week, we posted about eight thousand new pages of government documents that have, you know, been sent to us as a result of our FOIA requests. Um, they involve all types of things from intelligence agency misconduct reports, um, net neutrality lobbying to um, national security letters. We also just launched a, a FOIA reviewers, a cooperating FOIA reviewers program. So we're asking people to to sign up, and when we get large batches of documents, because we're such a small organization, when we get 10,000 pages of documents, sometimes it helps to have another set of eyes go go through it. So if you go to our website and uh, take a look at the Deep Links blog, you can find out more about that. Very good. Thanks. And Ken, can you give us your final thoughts and let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and uh, about your work and your organization? Well, you know, one final thought. I, 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 I don't want your listeners to be left with the uh, with the feeling that uh, Mark and I just total passed in the third. They're, they're, we are better off because of the transparency laws that were passed. Uh, in, in 1966, where the federal law is concerned, uh, and most of the state laws were passed in the Watergate era, and citizens are better served since those laws were passed uh, than they were beforehand. What, what I wish the government would do, and I, I got cut off as you were asking me for my prescription for fixing what's wrong with, with transparency, I, I wish the government would do two things, three things. One, one is uh, take a look at electronic communications and digital communications and think of it as an opportunity to make access to government information and transparency for citizens easier, faster, and cheaper. And, and, and how, how we should be able to use this technology to, to that end, and they should think of ways to do it. Uh, I wish there were also penalties uh, that, that affected federal, federal officials 
uh, whether that's a reprimand in their file or just someone knowing that there's seriousness about it, that when someone violates the public disclosure laws in a intentional or, or flagrant way, uh, that there ought to be a consequence for it. Uh, and they should realize it is a big deal. It's not just something to just say oopsie and, and give the records that you should have given away uh, several months ago. And finally, and this will uh, really deal with what Mark is doing uh, with, with FOI requests in the federal, in the sensitive area. Right now, a lot of people in a lot of areas of government, first of all, we classify too many documents. But in addition to that, some officials take the uh, a, a document that's classified and assume that, you know, if it's classified, then everything in it must be a very important governmental secret. And what we know is that's often not the case. I wish there would be a new law so that classification happens paragraph by paragraph, not document by document. Great. Well, and Ken, how can our listeners reach out to you? They can reach me at bunting K at Missouri.edu, uh, and my office number is 573-882-3075. You can also find all of that contact information and more at nfoic.org. And Ken, I know that you're going to be up my way, uh, up in New England in May for the National FOI Summit, May 20th and 21st in Providence, Rhode Island. Information on that is also up on the nfoic.org website, so I look forward to that. Great. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen, for participating in our show today. And thank you very much for, 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 for dedicating a show to Sunshine Week. It's very important. And thank you. Well, thanks to both of you for taking the time to be with us today. We appreciate it. And for our listeners, remember now you can get CLD credit through the West Legal Ed Center for listening to select Legal Talk Network podcasts. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and click on West Legal Ed Center. Bob? And thanks, as always, to our hardworking staff, Kate Kenny, our producer for the program, and Mike Hockman, our engineer, for the great work and uh, that they do. Uh, and also another reminder to our listeners that all of our shows are archived at LegalTalkNetwork.com and in the podcast library on iTunes. Well, we'll be back again next week to discuss another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. We'll see you next week. We'll see you then, Craig. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Every week, a new legal topic that you won't want to miss. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.